Hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is Stephen Robles and I'm joined again by William Gallagher. Thanks for joining me, William. Oh, thanks for having me back. Good to be here. And obviously, uh, all the big stuff in the news has to do with the virus, and we'll touch on that later in the show. But wanted to talk about some iPad stuff since iOS 13.4 and iPad OS 13.4 was released this past week on Tuesday. And well, first question for you, William, did you uh, impulse buy a new iPad when those <laughs> became available last week? I, I came within a pixel of doing it. I was very, mm. very tempted. Um, and I, I actually put it off um, because I fancy the MacBook Air as well. And that moment uh. of indecision <laughs> may have saved me a lot of money as I haven't bought uh. either of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Well, you know, I, as I told Andrew last week, I had literally had bought one and then canceled my order because I was really starting to look deeper into it. And some of the rumors that came out even after, even this week was that a mini LED iPad might come later this year. So that very iPad Pro that just came out might be replaced by a mini LED screen technology version. Oh, and then I also saw the benchmarks. Uh, someone mm. did a benchmarks test with the A12Z processor in the 2020, the new model, and the A12X in the model I have, 2018. And there actually wasn't that much of a performance improvement. It really seems like the LiDAR and cameras are the only kind of thing that's setting it apart a lot from the previous model. So I, I feel confident in my decision to uh, to stay with the 2018, uh, especially with the mouse and trackpad support that have now come to the 2018 models with iPadOS 13.4. So I was curious, William, have you messed around with any trackpad or mouse technology now in the 13.4 update? Uh, not 13.4. I tried it when the accessibility thing came out for and uh, I just it isn't for me I like typing I like my iPad uh, I never think to use a trackpad with it. I think I've done it marvelously and maybe over time I'll change my mind but for now I just think well that's very nice I'm not interested but um, if you're sticking with the 2018 what do you think about uh, if people went to say the, re the Apple refurb store now and bought a 2018 model instead of the new 2020 do you think that would be sensible Honestly, I mean, it seems like the graphic improvements are still the greater improvement on the 2020 model. So, you know, if you're really doing gaming right. or, you know, like Andrew, he actually does some video editing in the field on it. Yes. If you're doing that kind of use case, maybe go with the 2020. But I do think the refurb models and some of the sales now on the older version, it's a great deal, If you're, especially if you're not doing video stuff. I'm still happy with my model. Uh, it seems like there was a teardown and the, uh, the battery in the new model might be actually a little smaller. Uh -huh. than the 2018 model. So uh, I'm I'm plenty happy with my 2018. Just occurs to me that if you spend all that money now on a 2020 iPad, you've got a couple of months to save up for the keyboard. That's why they've done it this way. <laughs> yes. That uh, must be it. Yeah, that 300 or $350, depending on what size you get. That is a, yes. it's a pricey keyboard. I might try it, but I'm actually less inclined now. So I have paired an Apple magic mouse with my iPad and I've been playing around with the new yeah. cursor features in iPad OS 13.4 and it's fine. Uh, it's fine. I find it still pretty finicky. Um, uh, you know, if all you have is a mouse, even things like going home, you know, you have to put the mouse in the bottom of the screen to click the bar there at the bottom and pulling up the dock when you're in an app with a mouse. <laughs> It's this weird combination of if I just drag the mouse to the edge of the iPad, I can invoke the dock while still in an app. Uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it's a little weird. 
But to go home, I actually have to click that bar. And, and the mouse does that snap to grid thing, as Apple demonstrated Craig Viterighi in that video, and, and we did too. But it'll kind of snap to certain buttons, uh, not like a hard snap. But if you put your mouse near like icons or to click an app, it'll kind of snap to that. Although it doesn't snap to things like the reply arrow in a mail message. So a little inconsistency there. Hmm. Um, not my cup of tea, as you said. I don't think I would want to navigate everything on an iPad with a mouse. So that $300 magic keyboard with trackpad, I'm not sure if uh, if it will be tempting as much as as I thought it might be. Is it tempting you at all? More than you, uh, but that's because I think uh, I think you have just spoken to the reasons why mice should be banished forever, trackpads rule uh, kind <laughs> of thing. So uh, is it a magic mouse you've got? Is it a mouse that has um, like a trackpad on it that you could you could have wiggled your finger? Why am I wiggling my fingers at you as I try to explain this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have, you do it naturally. Uh, but you can... With a magic mouse, you can still do some swiping gestures, um, like a scrolling, going back and forth between certain apps with two fingers. Maybe a magic trackpad, you know, you can do those multi-finger gestures, like the three fingers to go home and stuff. So that's probably more useful. Hmm. I don't know. It still feels like iPad is really wants you to use your finger to tap things and to swipe so. around with fingers. So. We'll see. Uh, we'll see once that magic keyboard comes out how how people gravitate towards it or not. Previously, not liked Apple's uh, smart keyboards. I don't like the feel yeah. of them. Uh, this looks dramatically better uh, enough so that I could see it being worth the money. It's an astounding. It's practically it is a third of the cost of the iPad as well. So, I mean, I think keyboards are worth it, but that does seem to be pushing it a little bit. But yes, I just, uh, I carry around an external keyboard. I have a couple of them, a very, very small one, a nice full size thing. I'm used to carrying a bag with a lot of stuff in it. And would this actually make the iPad, right now my iPad feels very light and handy uh, with a keyboard mm. wrapped around it. Will it become more like having a MacBook? And actually, do I want that? It's very complicated, you know, isn't it? Why right. do they do this to us? <laughs> I would be curious how high you can then kind of float the iPad with that new Magic Keyboard case. Because that is one thing where using the current Folio smart keyboard, the iPad's always very low to the table. Mm. You know, it would be more comfortable, higher up field of vision kind of thing. So maybe that would be useful enough and the keyboard would be nice enough that it might justify it. Uh, we'll see. We'll have to play around with it when it comes out. Well, some of the other rumors that came out with future iPads and software Shared enterprise iPads, and this might not be of interest to everyone, but I work at a job where we actually have many iPads in Jamf, which is a mobile device management platform, and it kind of uses Apple's MDM back end. But it will give people the ability to actually have multiple users for enterprise on an iPad. And just uh, wanted to say that so people know it's coming and uh, you might find it useful. So this way you can actually have one iPad, and if it's in an enterprise setting, Multiple people can have their iCloud account, their managed iCloud and Apple ID, and you can have multiple users on an iPad. And I would actually love for that to come even to the personal side outside of enterprise because we have one iPad and I have multiple children that kind of use it. And that whole user function with game saved states and all that, uh, that would be very useful. So I'm I'm hoping as they make the iPad more like a computer that that multiple user 
feature will come uh, even to individuals. They did add that to Apple TV, didn't they? And I realised this because neither I nor my wife are actually that bothered about it. We just carry on using the same thing and I get all her YouTube recommendations, she gets all of mine. It's something to talk about. Um, (laughs) The user account feature on Apple TV now is a little janky, I would say. Uh, Yeah, it'll switch between YouTube accounts and, you know, if you have Hulu or Netflix, it might remember which account was using which one. I don't find it as useful, I think, as maybe Apple wanted it to be. But there was another rumor that a new Apple TV, new Apple TV hardware is coming, but that also a feature might come that would have a a tvOS kids mode. And this is something that interests me because Apple TV is kind of where we watch pretty much everything. uh, Disney Plus or Netflix, the kids watch shows through there. And it's a little... Not frustrating, but, you know, when you open the Apple TV and if it shows some of the movie posters just for rentals that are coming out, there can be kind of scary or horror movies or just kind of graphic uh, movie poster things. And it would be great if the kids could kind of go to a mode that's just for them that really just has their content and you can limit access to, you know, those R-rated PG-13 movies and all that kind of stuff. So I'm actually looking forward to that kids mode. That sounds excellent. Yes, I like that. Uh, uh, oh, but you mentioned it. Uh, we do the same here. We watch practically everything through our Apple TV. But uh, you didn't mention that you actually watch Apple TV Plus through it. You mentioned other things. Are you an Apple TV <laughs> Plus devotee? I did. I enjoyed For All Mankind. We watched that entire show. And we tried a couple of the other shows, but I was not drawn into them. I have yet to get into Amazing Stories was kind of of interest, but I couldn't tell if it would be good for my age kids mm. so to watch it together. So I think I'd kind of have to preview it. So I've not not to jump back into that Apple TV Plus content so much. But no. are you? Is there something that's of interest to you there? No, and I don't know why. Uh, I mean, I'm still waiting for Little <laughs> Voice. Uh, I like Little America. I find everything I watch, I think it's really well done and I like it, but I am not compelled back in the way I am with... Um, you know, the good place on Netflix or Star Trek Picard right. on Amazon Prime. I don't know what it is. I am not pulled in yet. And uh, it's not like the shows are bad. Did you watch For All Mankind? Uh, I haven't seen all of it, but what I've seen, uh, I like and I intend to see the end of it. So, But it's not a have to go back right now kind of show. No, isn't that strange? It might, it's funny you mentioned The Good Place because I actually just started uh, binge watching that on Netflix. And that's been our, our show of choice in the evening. Oh, it's a excellent. great show. Absolutely brilliant, and I've got to shut up because I've seen the ending. Oh, yeah, no spoilers, no spoilers. I'm just at the end of season one. (laughs) Oh, you have such great things to come. Yes. I know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. So anyway, that that was Apple TV uh, and iPad, but I do want to touch on one more standout feature that was coming with iOS 13.4, and that's the iCloud folder sharing feature. This was touted at last WWDC and how it was coming. Yes. And we just now have gotten it, probably nine, ten months later. Yes. You you had a great article showing how to use it. And uh, it is also pretty finicky. And so maybe you could talk about your experience trying to write that article and figure out how it all worked. I honestly, I rewrote it completely because I thought I've got something wrong here. I I started again and I found, no, I haven't. Um, I shouldn't have been surprised because uh, last year, um, sometime I wrote one about how just to share a single file and it was peculiar, the steps you had to go through and the sequence. And actually it turns out that it's pretty much the same sequence. I think at the heart of a problem for me is that Apple uses the standard uh, share extension. And when you open share extension, you know you have some shortcuts at the top and there's people you contact and all this. There's a set order. 
and that's it's fine it's usually very good but in this case the order is the wrong way around mm-hmm. if i wanted to share uh, a folder uh with you uh obviously i need to know you know your email address or some way of contacting you but then i have to decide um whether or not you need to be able to alter the file, whether you can just read it or not. And the way they've rigged this, uh, the first thing you pick is how you contact somebody. The second is who they are. And the third is what they can see or not. So it is actually incredibly easy to give somebody full access or whatever your default is uh, before you realize. And then uh, things like the option of, I could ju- instead of sending it specifically and only to you, I could create a link just like Dropbox does and give that link to anybody I need. To create that link, you actually have to have added somebody first, even if it's yourself. And then you back out and you go back in again and the screen changes to add, uh, have a link option that you can then copy out to people. And it just, it, it makes, it pulls your hair out a little <laughs> of it. I, I've been waiting for this feature. It works. It is remarkably great once you've got it started. But up to there, it's it's almost like that they set out to make it as unusable as possible. It's very un-Apple-like, which is a shame for something that's been so long in the making. And this is something, you know, they changed the whole share sheet with iOS 13, I believe. And I do not think it was for the better, especially... For someone like me, I actually use a lot of Siri shortcuts. Uh, my shortcuts app has many shortcuts, and I find them all very useful. You know, I have some. Hmm. I have a shortcut for when I want to add a link to the show notes that we share when we're doing this podcast. I have a shortcut downloading a YouTube video. I have shortcuts for saving Instagram photos. So shortcuts is so powerful. But my share sheet is so full of stuff. And most of it does not apply most of the time. And it's most noticeable, like if I'm in the Files app on my iPhone and I go to share a folder, I want to share this iCloud folder with someone else, I get all those options, Mm. including a shortcut that I have for searching this link on Twitter or making a PDF. And I understand that you can change your shortcut settings for what it can receive. But for anyone that's not totally familiar with every option in this sheet, it is very convoluted. And I agree with you that this page, when you actually go to share a folder, the options here should have not been the standard share sheet. It should have been something proprietary to actually just sharing an iCloud folder because it's really all you're going to do with it. You're going to send someone a link to access the files in there, or you're going to want to collaborate with someone. And you know, having all the options that are in the share sheet, I think is, uh, is too much. And it makes it convoluted. Oh, also, I've actually forgotten this until you said that. Um, you know, I said that there's this, how do you choose to send somebody a link? So there's messages, there's email, all that stuff. Uh, it also offers the option for you to send somebody a link to your folder via the Kindle app. <laughs> now, I don't know what in the world the Kindle app is going to do with this information, but it's right there. Kindle, OmniFocus, uh, Slack was in there, yeah. but it didn't seem to do anything when I tried it. It's just, mm. yes, it's bewildering. Uh, but at least we have it now, and it does mean I I I can I can't yet get rid of Dropbox, uh, but I'm closer to it than before, and I like the idea of just one place right. uh, to store everything. So, and that's exactly where I'm at. I've I've long hoped that I can do away with Dropbox after this folder sharing come out. It's closer, like you said, not just yet. Um, I'll have to stick with Dropbox for a little while longer, but maybe iPad OS and iOS 14 and on this will become a more robust feature. It was interesting. Andrew, last week, he actually sent me a link to an iCloud folder. This was before 
iOS 13.4 came out, but apparently iCloud Drive online on the website, I was able to access a shared folder that way. And so you can do it through the web, do it through the files app on your devices, Mm. but uh, it's still just a little, everything is different. You know, if you go to iCloud Drive on the web, you know, it's called iCloud Drive, first of all, and then on your phone, it's called the files app and then iCloud Drive. So it's just a general obfuscation of what you're looking at. And again, I mean, obviously Dropbox has been doing this a lot longer. Their interfaces are pretty much coherent and well-planned and well-designed. And so you kind of know what you're doing, whether you're in the Dropbox app or website. So hopefully Apple will begin to clean this up and we can kind of move away from Dropbox eventually. I know for me, I've been kind of riding this line of, do I put new files that I'm making and working on now in iCloud Drive and try to slowly transition away from Dropbox? Or do I put them in both? And unfortunately, I have been indecisive. And so I kind of do some things sometimes. Sometimes I'll put them in both platforms. Sometimes I'll just put an iCloud Drive. And so one day I will have a mess of putting all these things together in one service. I don't know if you found that to be true too. Well, I, I'm forced to use iCloud Drive a lot because I have a Mac Mini with the very smallest possible uh, SSD on it. So mm. since I came from a much larger uh, hard drive, uh, everything's in iCloud, and I'm kind of uh, I pay for my two terabytes, and uh, I use it a lot because of that. Uh, Dropbox I tend to use just for uh, uh, transmission uh, things that I know I have to get to a PC user. Uh, but actually, I have a lot of clients. So I do a lot of young writing workshops, and there's lots of you know childcare admin and stuff that has to be on their servers. So uh, I know if it's to do with young writers, it's in Dropbox. If it's anything else, it's probably in iCloud Drive. Mm. But yeah, there are ones where we I, I still have to remember where things are, or I have to look for them. And you know, Apple famously with iOS wanted you to forget all of that and only think about what you work as if the files would be magically there. And they've given up <laughs> on that. I'm never going to get there. Yes. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how they improve it uh, with future iOS. I'm glad the feature is there. You know, oh. try it. It does work. You know, it works if you can get <laughs> figure out how to do it and get all your settings the way you want it to. So, so let us know. I'd love to hear your experience, listeners, if you've been using it or you're trying to do some real business work with iCloud folder sharing and how that's working across Macs and devices. Let us know. We'd be curious about your experience with it. This show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. If you don't know, using a VPN on your mobile device or your Mac can help protect your privacy and security as you browse the web, especially when you're on a public Wi-Fi network, maybe at an airport or in a coffee shop. I use ExpressVPN on my iPhone, iPad, and my Mac, and I love using it everywhere. It's super easy to use. But not only does it protect your privacy and security as you browse the web, but you can actually use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Many of us are stuck at home and we have a lot more time probably binge watching some stuff on Netflix. And if you've watched all the things that you care to see on the Netflix where you are, you can use ExpressVPN to tune into the content that's available on Netflix even in other countries. You can watch Star Trek Discovery on Netflix UK or check out Brooklyn Nine-Nine in Netflix Canada. ExpressVPN allows you to do just that. ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located, whether that's the UK or Canada, so you can watch Netflix content from those countries. And it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service like Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPN services out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN is to watch shows and HD content ridiculously fast 
and it protects my privacy and security. So if you visit our special link right now, which is expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider, you actually get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself, your security and privacy online with ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider for those extra three months free of ExpressVPN. That's expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. So one other quick rumor, you actually posted this, I believe it was earlier today, about Face ID coming to the Mac. Oh, yes. And this was something that it's been a long time coming. You know, obviously it's now on the phone. In 2018, they brought it to the iPad Pro. The question there has kind of been, how will they do it on Mac and when will it come? And so there's been some patents and some drawings that uh, you reported on today about it, including a notch in the screen, much like the notch on the iPhone. And I find that uh, a little bizarre. I'll be glad when this comes, but uh, not so sure I want a notch on my iMac or MacBook. No, the significance of today's uh, patent is it's the first one that explicitly talks about, uh, well, they 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 still don't say MacBooks. They still don't say Face ID. It's um, light recognition module for authentication and uh, laptops. But every drawing bar one is of a MacBook for it. Um, We know it's going for this. Apple's previously said it's coming to more devices. So we do know. But buried in the... It's it's typical Apple uh, patent in that it covers every conceivable possibility that could ever be associated, just so they can claim against anybody in the future. And although all of the drawings do show a notch, the description talks about the the controls that they may be above the display, may be abutting the display. They need necessarily be under it and requiring a notch like this. But every drawing has a notch highly emphasized. I was right. every drawing bar one. Uh, the one other drawing, uh, it's not even explicitly mentioned in the patent, but uh, there's an iMac in there. And it's weirdly, right. old. Uh, Apple reuses illustrations a lot. So it looks to me like somebody grabbed a very old drawing of an iMac and drew the notch in. Right. For it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look anything like a modern iMac. Yeah. <laughs> now, the curious, one, I would love to have this come, uh, you know, especially to the laptops and iMac. My curiosity will be how or if they would be able to bring Face ID to the Mac Pro and the Mac Mini. You know, there was some thought when Touch ID for the MacBook came out with the Touch Bar, maybe Apple would release a wireless keyboard or a Magic Keyboard with a Touch Bar and or Touch ID. And so I'd be curious with the Mac Pro and Mac Mini, would they or could they do Face ID in like the Pro Display XDR? or possibly a lower-end display if they ever come out with that. Could they do that? And also, how would that work as it would have to either transmit over Thunderbolt 3, you know, some other method to the secure chip in the computer to actually unlock the device? I mean, obviously, with Apple Watch now, you can unlock your Macs wirelessly if your Apple Watch is in range. Oh, that's true. Um, so they do kind of do a wireless security that way. But I would be curious... You know, if Face ID was housed in a display, uh, how that would work. 
I don't know. Is this something you're look for, looking forward to? Uh, very much so. Uh, every time I, I have to uh, tap in my password to get into my Mac, um, uh, I think about Face ID. Uh, I had previously thought that, um, until you said that about the watch and the how it unlocks, and, and I do use that, that uh, a wireless keyboard couldn't use this because there's got to be a security problem of the signal between the keyboard and the Mac, but they have it with the watch, so it is solvable. I had thought before then that maybe they would just put Touch ID actually in a keyboard, have a secure enclave within a keyboard. So all it has to do right. has to do is signal yes. Um, uh, I just I don't like the idea of a six thousand dollar Pro Display XDR with a notch. No, but I also can't see them doing a webcam that's just for it either. So yeah, it makes more sense in the iMac where the current FaceTime camera is in the black bezel. And you can put a Face ID sensor in there and not do a notch. Yeah. But curious, I mean, the Pro Display XDR doesn't even have a Face ID or it doesn't have a FaceTime camera. You know, you would have you have to buy a webcam. Yes. With your six thousand dollar Mac Pro and six thousand dollar Pro Display XDR, if you want a FaceTime camera. Odd coincidence, though, isn't it, that the very cheapest Mac and the very most expensive Mac are the two that don't have a camera with them. I don't know why what the significance right. is, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But uh, I'd be curious uh, how and when that will come and uh, we'll look forward to it, especially on the laptops. I feel like that, that makes a lot of sense. And one other rumor I wanted to touch on, the uh, air power <laughs> charging mat is getting some uh, revitalized rumor and supposedly they're prototyping a revamped air power charging mat. And, you know, when this was first announced, I was very excited about it. You know, I have the AirPods and the Apple Watch and the phone and, you know, to charge it all in one mat. And uh, when the whole debacle finally came to a close and I also tried other wireless Qi chargers. I think I'm uh, at least for the moment over it un unless this new air power charging mat is just incredible. So I don't know. How do you feel about air power, wireless charging and all that? Uh, betrayed really, to be fair. <laughs> I, I had right. no interest in wireless charging. I figured, I mean, I people go on about it, but I thought I plug my phone in uh, at night, I wake up, it's charged. What difference does it make to me whether it took a couple of hours less because it was wired or not? It's there when I need it. But then I was given one for my desk and it is so useful to just, it's, <laughs> it's right there now in front of me. My iPhone is propped up on an anchor key charger. And I know when I'm done, I pick up the phone, I walk out and the battery is full. Uh, and the fact that I yeah. often run out uh, to go to events and things, you know, writer stuff, uh, again, uh, knowing I don't have to think about the battery is is tremendous. So I am now a fan. And I became a fan because Apple was talking about air power and I became aware of it. And then they didn't give it to me. And I had to find alternatives. And now it's a slap in the face as so they might bring it back. And I'll, I'll end up buying another one. And I will, I will try the air power, Matt, uh, if it comes out from Apple. Um, I do think Qi charger on a desk, especially where you work, there is some usefulness there, especially if you get the angled version yeah. and you can kind of see the phone screen while it's charging. That's pretty cool. I had one at my bedside for a while and was charging my phone overnight that way, but I got a little squirrely with heat and just the mm -hmm. idea of it charging wirelessly every night, sitting on there for you know six to eight hours. And uh, there's supposedly it doesn't affect the battery life overall but i just couldn't couldn't get past the idea of like maybe it's doing something I, and I, I didn't have good evidence but i was just like i'm gonna plug it in overnight i'm not gonna do the wireless well clearly you should just sleep less there you go sorted ah that's it that's it 
Settled. Actually, this did when you said the bedtime uh, bedside thing. That reminds me. I I have a quite an old um, uh, three-way uh, bed charger. It's an iPad, iPhone, and Apple Watch together. Very nice thing. A company called N Blue. I think that may not exist anymore, but I really like it. But it's all Lightning, and it did occur to me that if I had gone for the new iPad, that's a USB-C charger i wouldn't be able to use the same stand for it i'll have to find somewhere else and the side of the bed is quite a small little cabinet so uh less less useful yeah. USB-C, even though it has all these advantages which which a side note uh, i'll ask you but i am actually looking forward to the day if it ever comes that the iphone goes USB-C because my mac and ipad can both charge with the USB-C cable that i have by my bedside but the iPhone is the one thing I still have to have those those lightning cables. And now I have a bunch of USB-C to lightning yes. cables because uh, I have that. So I don't know. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to one day the iPhone going USB-C. I think so. Uh, I mean, I used to not because uh, I, I have loads of lightning cables. But I remember thinking I used to have an incredible number of the uh, the old 30-pin uh, cables as well. And right. uh who knows where they went they must be here somewhere but they're all gone and everything's replaced i think it's because i keep buying new iphones and i get a free lightning cable with right. them uh, that's, that's right. the answer uh so buy a new <laughs> ipad get a free cable right and it also be you know because they still have the magic keyboard and magic mouse is also lightning and the airpods oh true so oh, yes. we might be yes. we might be somewhat far out but especially for dongle usage you know i have a bunch of dongles and hubs that I use with my iPad and my MacBook Pro. And it would be nice to only have to have one SD card dongle or HDMI dongle and not have to also have these lightning dongles lying around. So we'll see. Maybe one day. This show is sponsored by Mint Mobile. Network coverage is better than ever, no matter your wireless provider. So why pay more for the same service? That's where Mint Mobile comes in. Mint Mobile can cut your bill down to just 15 bucks a month for the same premium coverage. Mint Mobile is so easy. When you sign up, they send you a SIM card, and you can pop it right in your iPhone or the mobile device you already have and start using Mint Mobile right away. Mint Mobile doesn't have expensive retail stores and overhead, and that's how they're able to lower their price so they can pass on that savings to you. It's easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, plus super fast LTE. You can use your own phone with a Mint Mobile plan and even keep your same phone number or get a new one. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash appleinsider. That's mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. So we had an article go up on Apple Insider about how to stream live from your Mac. And with everything that's been going on with coronavirus and people staying at home, being able to live stream for businesses has become very important. And, you know, I've seen yoga studios and people who were doing workout classes, yes. many businesses trying to pivot to this, how do I stream live my classes or teaching or my business and all that kind of stuff. And so we had some suggestions and I wanted to mention uh, one more that wasn't in the article. I'll link to it in show notes. But in the article, uh, we mentioned Wirecast, which is a great piece of software. And you can use multiple video input devices and you can actually load still images and video to stream live. 
and you can connect RTMP servers and you can do Facebook and YouTube, all that. So Wirecast is great. It does cost. You can buy a single license. I think it's a couple hundred bucks. There's OBS, which is the open broadcasting software. And let me ask you, William, have you had ever tried to use OBS yourself? I, until that article, I'd never even heard of it. Uh, I found that really useful, actually, because there's yeah. so many arts organizations I know that are looking to do this. I was able to pass it on, but no, it was completely new to me. Uh, I take it you have? Yeah. I have. So OBS is actually free, and uh, that's hence the open broadcasting thing. But I find it extremely finicky, yeah. and it can be, it's not very user-friendly and also not super reliable, but it's free. So if you can get it to work with whatever devices you're using, <laughs> you can try that. But here's my two big recommendations for live streaming and live production. Number one, Ecamm, which is a software company. They release things like Skype Call Recorder, which I'm actually using right now. Uh, Ecamm Skype Call Recorder is you can record a Skype call and it splits it into several tracks. They recently came out with a piece of software called Ecamm Live. And it is a monthly subscription, but it's only $15 a month. And for $15 a month, you download Ecamm Live app to your Mac, and you it is very powerful. You can stream to YouTube and Facebook and custom live streaming servers if you have them, and you can do it from your camera on the Mac, or you can use a video device like a Blackmagic capture device, and you can stream it to Facebook, YouTube, and all that. For $15 a month, it is extremely useful. You can also send your screen if you want to send your Mac screen, if you're doing like a tutorial style thing, or you're trying to teach some Mac software, you can send your screen and stream that live. And so it is extremely useful. It's a great value. Ecamm Live, there'll be a link to that in show notes. Again, $15 a month for that. And I have one more service I wanted to recommend. I did not know this was possible until I found this service. It is called OneStream Live. And so the website is oneonestream.live. I'll put a link to it in show notes. It is also a monthly subscription. I believe it's $30 or $40 a month. But this gives you the ability to upload a video file and schedule it to be a Facebook or YouTube live video. (laughs) Now, this is incredibly useful. (laughs) So my company, we've actually been doing a lot of recorded content that we want to deliver but we want it to appear as a Facebook Live because the engagement on those live videos are great and they stay on Facebook for people to view after the fact. But to do it live is sometimes a pain in the neck. And so with OneStream.Live, you can pre-produce a video. You upload that video file to the OneStream Live service and then you can schedule it and it can go to as many as five or eight destinations at once. And we actually did this yesterday I had a, p- a video and I scheduled to go to four different Facebook pages and a YouTube channel. And at a specific time that I set, it went live on all those pages and YouTube at the same time. And it was just like you were watching a live broadcast. It showed up as a Facebook live and a YouTube live. And honestly, it is uh, incredibly useful. Uh, it's a little finicky with Facebook. You kind of have to log in pretty much every time you schedule a new video. But that is a minor inconvenience because it does work and it actually works really reliable. I've been using it for the past week and it's a great service. So that's just some tips for those of you out there that are trying to get into live stuff now uh, with the whole stay at home thing. Uh, Ecamm Live, check that out. And OneStream.Live, really useful. I'm actually signing up to OneStream right now as you were talking about that. I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's an incredible service. And you know what? I will mention uh, two other 
websites, Restream.io and Switchboard.live. And so this is more for if you are actually doing a live broadcast and you got cameras and all that, and you want to send it to multiple platforms, but you know you don't want to deal with you know if you use Wirecast, you can actually tell Wirecast to stream to Facebook, stream to these different places. But it can be finicky sometimes and not great at doing multiple destinations. So Restream.io and Switchboard.live are services where you can just use one Mac. You only have to make it encode one video stream. And these services will then push it out to all these different platforms simultaneously. And so if you have multiple Facebook pages or a YouTube page and you want to put it on Twitter and you want to do a RTMP destination somewhere else, these services will actually let you uh, stream once and send to all these places. So you don't have to worry about logging into all these different pages and reconnecting them all to your live stream software. And they integrate with Ecamm Live. So if you have Ecamm Live on your Mac and you just want to press one button to one destination, your computer's not having to encode four different video streams, these services, Switchboard and uh, Restream, are very useful. So as this uh, new stay-at-home environment is here and will probably be changing how a lot of businesses uh, run, I would recommend you check out those services. They're they're great services. It's funny. There's this this giant group I, I work with where I know, I've always known that certain things like this would help them, but just none of them were interested and none of them were engaged at all. And since the right. lockdown, the number of people I've told, ju- I've shown just how to use Skype, the interest, and they find it so easy, the instantly easy, that it's now changed their mind about all this stuff and they want to do it more. This is, this is going to revolutionize things. This is going to be a good thing for technology. Absolutely. And I tell you, Zoom... Man, yes. Zoom is getting its it's getting to work out with all the stay at home. I know yes. pretty much every business now is utilizing Zoom. Uh, I know my job, they signed up for the enterprise account and you know, we're having staff meetings with 40 to 50 people in a Zoom meeting. Right. And to Zoom's credit, they're they're pretty solid. Uh, I've been doing it with one person at a time. It feels feeble compared to yours, but it worked very well. <laughs> but it, but it's great to do. You can do both, you know, and you can share your screen in a meeting and send images if you need to and share all that. And the administrative features in Zoom are great. So anyway, none of these people are sponsors. None, none of them are paying us to talk about them. But, you know, for those of you who own a business, run a business, and you really need to get into this, I hope and some of those resources will uh, will help you out. Yeah, just to say, I came out to have a nice chat with you, and you've ended up costing me money as I pay uh, one stream, <laughs> whatever it is. For them. thanks. <laughs> I, I didn't even hear about it till a couple of days ago. Trust me, and, and it's uh, it's changed how we do a lot of things. So yeah, hope you enjoy. Let's wrap up with uh, you know some of the you can't get away from the news without talking about the coronavirus. And so I was curious, William, how you guys were doing over there in the UK. I saw. The uh, you guys shut down the whole country, I believe. Yes, uh, it's scary. We are allowed out once a day for necessities, and actually, most days this week since the lockdown, I have not gone out, but I did yesterday, and it's it's unpleasant actually. It's so quiet and, and scary. I was in a supermarket because I had to be, and everybody was doing the two meter dance to stay around from each other. It is like being in a film, for it's very unreal, and uh, I yeah. don't think our government is being one of the most well, I have a friend who actually taught students in Wuhan. She teaches Chinese students. She was in Wuhan when all of this started. She was flying out, mm-hmm. quarantined and all this. And she was telling me this week that some of her UK Chinese students have decided to go back to China because it's safer there than what's going on in Britain. And it's just, wow. I don't know what it's like. What's it like where you are? 
So we, you know, America is, is interesting. We have, I think, five to ten states that are uh, stay-at-home kind of mandated. You know, it's one of these unclear things, how hard of a recommendation it is versus, you know, enforceable by law kind of thing. Um, but, you know, New York, New Jersey, um, a bunch of other states, Illinois, um, they're all, the whole states are on lockdown. Me in Florida, we are now just crossing into certain counties are doing stay at home. Hillsborough County, which is where Tampa, Florida is, starting tomorrow evening will be stay at home, uh, starting at 10 p.m. And I imagine we'll go to more counties and probably statewide pretty soon. Uh, you know, grocery stores are are weird. It's, you know, they started a two meat policy at some grocery stores where you can only buy two packages of meat at a time. And some of them, actually one grocery store here in Florida is installing plexiglass barriers between cash registers. Uh-huh. So those who go check out, there's like a barrier uh, to prevent some you know, spread there. And uh, toilet paper is still out of stock in many places. Some people still struggle to find some. So it is definitely uh, like a movie, like you're saying. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. One of the articles that did go up this week was that Apple plans to reopen some store locations in the first half of April, which is just a couple weeks away. And uh, curious uh, how they believe they'll be able to do that as America is still kind of on the uphill climb of closing down and getting a handle on this stuff. Uh, don't know, you know, what's behind that or if that's even possible. I don't see it happening. I don't know why they would say it uh, unless they knew, but still, I think it's going to just skip further and further back. Uh, I mean, good on up. I don't know if they're doing, I presume they're still doing this. Uh, when they close down the UK stores, they announced they were paying staff anyway. And, and that's that's a great thing. Not all companies are doing that, unfortunately. So... Right. And it was interesting, you know, if you had a, an Apple repair in a store, like you had given your phone or Mac and left it in an Apple store, you cannot pick up that repair yes. until the stores reopen. And so that's one of the unfortunate things. If you fell into that category, um, if you did, you know, I'd be curious, your experience, listener, if you have a device kind of uh, imprisoned in an Apple store, if they've communicated anything or offered a, a mail in something. So I could understand maybe trying to open for select hours with that. Oh, good point. Yes. Yeah, I'd be curious uh, how it goes. Uh, President Donald Trump here in America, he has stated he would like to see some business return to normal by April 12th, which is Easter here in America. But I I still do not see that happening, Um, especially as, you know, we are not on a countrywide lockdown yet, but headed that way. Unclear, unsure uh, what it all means. Have you got something good to say to end after that? Is there something positive? <laughs> anything. I'll take anything. <laughs> it is interesting to see how people are connecting and doing things from home. Not to promote what myself, but my kids, uh, we did a little home concert uh, last week. Oh. We did a live stream on Facebook and my 10 and seven year old played some, some band instruments and we did a little at home concert and <laughs> that was received well and it was fun. It was kind of excellent. Yeah. Something that you could actually plan for, which takes some part of a day and then actually perform it. And so that's, that's enjoyable. Um, you know, seeing companies innovate and how we can do things remotely. Uh, it's been interesting, but 
Yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. You know, how are the grocery stores? As you know, you said you went out the other day. I mean, were you able to get things you needed and all that? Pretty much. Um, I, there was one thing I had to search for a couple of places, but uh, and there's a limitation. Um, I saw uh, you had to meet one. We have a limitation on uh, bread, uh, so there are limits mm. like that. But uh, less than I, f- less of a problem than I feared actually. So. You know, be safe, stay home uh, if you can. Do not run the risk. We had some spring breakers here in Florida. Yeah. Still gathering in groups of hundreds on the beaches, and that's unfortunate. You know, we we don't want to be foolish in our actions. So so be safe. You know, follow the, the local government guidelines, social distancing, all that. And, uh, you know, let us know in your comments, or you can email us. Uh, all those links are in show notes. But uh, let us know what you're doing at home. If you've taken up any projects, if you've taken up a master class. Class is a sponsor of this show sometimes, and you can learn something there. We actually have an article on some free things to do at home uh, with your Apple devices and your iPhones. So uh, that link will also be in show notes. Uh, free apps and things to do at home uh, during the pandemic. So things you can learn. iTunes U. You know, if you've never checked out iTunes U, oh, there's a great yes. resource. Lots of videos. You can take university classes on there. And so, you know, take some of those, learn something, learn a language. You know, <laughs> you know, you can, there's lots of things you can do during this time. Uh, if you ever wanted to become a developer, now may be a great time to start diving into some of those Swift playgrounds and tutorials. But uh, make use of the time. It's easy to just kind of fall back and binge watch something. But uh, there's lots of things you can do to also learn and better yourself, too. It picked up there. I thought, as soon as you said iTunes you, I thought, oh, yes, I've been in there in ages. It's amazing what's there. I'll go do some of that. And then I'll live stream myself doing it, and I'll learn an instrument. I am learning French on Duolingo, so okay. Very nice, very nice. Learn a language, yes, because we will come out of this, and then you will have a new skill that you can uh, present to the world. Exactly. Uh, Go for it. And, you know, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, I'll mention two services for that. Uh, Zencaster. Uh, that's Zencaster, no E at the end, but uh, their service, it's actually in the link is in the article on Apple Insider about things to do at home. You can podcast remotely with uh, friends and co-hosts, and it's a great service to kind of record both sides. You can do that, open up Skype. You know, there's a, always anchor.fm is an easy way to get into podcasting. So maybe try that. Take that up. And uh, again, we'd love to hear what you guys are doing at home. So you can find all the links. There's a ton of resources and show notes, especially with the the live production stuff and all that we have going on there. So check that out. Let us know what you're doing and how you're doing at home. You can tweet at William and I. The links to that are in show notes or email us. And uh, as always, we appreciate if you could give a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the show, enjoy some of the resources that we bring to it. Thanks for tuning in from wherever you are around the world, and we'll see you next week.